Good morning. I guess it's good for me. That's good. Good for you. You're pretty convincing. Wow. Just a little bit better than the 815. They weren't awake yet. No excuses for you. Well, it's good to be together. If you're new here, we've been in a series uh, with the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, as a teacher in this, I'm telling you, I can't wait to get out of the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm just telling you. It's like picking up um, a psychiatric ward person in the hospital and you're reading their journal. Uh, Because we're finding that Solomon is really in a messy place. Let me just review for you, if you've not been here, and just to give you perspective, Solomon um, is taking the throne from his father David for the nation of Israel. And at a very young age, he felt that humble posture uh, before God and said, I don't have what it takes to rule. And so he asked for wisdom from God. And God gave him great wisdom uh, to rule Israel. Interesting enough, though, God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm actually going to give you the things you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you power, military prowess. I'm going to give you leadership like you've never seen before, and no one ever will. And Solomon still rests as one of those that would be one of the greatest, most uh, wisest, and wealthiest leaders of all time. He initially writes the book of Song of Solomon. It would make all of us blush in this room. It's very sexual in nature. It's about the pursuing of lovers. Now, there's a metaphor in there that is to be read into that God pursues us this way. We're not going to teach that this morning. Some of you would be blushing, myself included. Uh, He goes on, though, to teach the book of Proverbs. He writes the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is later in his life where his spiritual journey becomes more cause and effect. And that means he, he comes to realize after being a teenager that there's certain things in life that are like formulas. If you work hard, you get this. Um, stay away from these things. And he writes these proverbial kind of little mini-messages or axioms. You could basically teach messages all throughout the book of Proverbs on just verses. But we find in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a later book, the later book for him to write, and it's as if he's been disenfranchised by his own (laughs) Proverbs. Like he's realizing it doesn't all work out this way. Anybody felt like that? The things that you thought life would be like, the things that you felt like were formulas, and if you just did these things, that life would work out the way you wanted. Solomon is in this space. Now what Solomon's going to address this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is he's going to be in a place where he's going to remind us of things that are real. Some, some statements about re, the, the reality of life. Now I know we don't forget much about life, do we? I, I know I have a, a great story about forgetting. It tends to be that we live sometimes in our life and we forget some of the basic rules of life. When I was 20 years old, uh, I, had, I was playing college football at the time, and so just got done with the workout. I thought I'd go to my high school because they're having a BMX racetrack contest. So they converted one of the fields, and it had you know, all the jumps. And remember BMX bikes? I don't know if you guys are my age. They're the littler bikes. You know, They had the cool handlebars and all that. But So I, I was working out, and I was a bigger guy back then. But I was wearing shorts. Now, shorts today are like, 
sometimes I can't tell if they're pants or shorts because they're like so long, right? These are like true shorts. You know what I'm saying? The ones we don't wear anymore. Um, and they were workout shorts and I had a tank top on and I had sandals on and I was there and I'm watching these bike races and one of the kids in high school knew my brother and he knew our family pretty well but he was egging me on. He kept elbowing me and saying, I bet I could beat you. And you know, the wise 20-year-old I was, I wasn't going to take that bait, not. Um, I said, oh sure, I'll take you on. Tons of people there, all this, and so I'm in my sandals, in my shorts, in my tank top. And I've never BMX raced or anything like that, but I figured I'd outpedal this kid in a heartbeat. So sure enough, we're in the gate, we go off, and I am way ahead of him. I am, like, not going to lose, especially in front of people at my old high school. So I'm pedaling, and if you know about BMX racing, sometimes they have these, these like, three loops or three bumps and as I'm approaching that, I, I'm going, well, I'm big, I'm strong. I don't have to slow down and take these one by one. I could do them all three. <laughs> so as I approach this one, I'm going to just get speed going, and I, I yank on this bike hard so much that I realize the bike is over my head, and I am, I am going feet first towards the dirt. And sure enough, I eat it and just scrape. The pain was quickly dissipated because I said, I have to get back on my bike. He just passed me, and I'm going to catch him. And I did. I caught him. You'd think I'd learned my lesson, right? We came around to a second set of three lumps, and I thought I pulled up too hard. I could still take all three if I gently do it. Sure enough, boom, bike's over my head. I it hit it again, same side. At this point, I recognize something's not right back here. I'm unwilling to look at it because I'm going to get back on my bike and pedal uh, and, and beat this kid. And we're at the final stretch. I catch him again. This is a long track. And it's the last, the last big jump. And it's not three. It's just one big monster. And I go, well, this is perfect. I won't pull up. I won't do any of that. I'm just going to go off of this jump and beat him at the finish. Sure enough... You think I would not forget? Uh, I hit it again. And I kind of get up and have to just look at an assessment because now he's beat me. There's some other people that were kind of laughing at that, which didn't help my ego at all. But as I look back, I was blood-soaked back here. And for weeks, I would have to be working through a scab that went from the side of my leg all the way up. Why is it that it took, in the middle of what, 60 seconds, two minutes, however long, race, how long that race took, I find myself forgetting some basics. Some basics. I think in life, we're going to find this morning, Solomon is going to sober up. He's sobering up to some realities about life. Now I want you to understand one aspect of Solomon this morning that's very important. He does not have any picture of a Messiah or a Jesus that's coming. You see, David and Solomon really are at the apex or the peak of Israel's reign. And so the idea of a, a Messiah being sent to restore Israel isn't in the forefront of their minds. Now, Jesus is prophesied all throughout Scripture, uh, all throughout the Old Testament, 
But what we find is Solomon doesn't have perspective that way. All he knows is you follow God and your life is over. Now there's a sense that you might be connected to God and might go to heaven, but their perspective of that is very different. And so this morning, we're going to look at two areas, or I would say statements of reality, that, state, uh, that Solomon gives us this morning. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, so follow along, verse 1, So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. Could you, could you sense the, the, the fatalistic attitude he has? I don't know. I don't know what's awaiting you. I know it's in God's hand. It's just, it is what it is. All share a common destiny, and the righteous, the wicked, the good, the bad, the clean, the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes them all. He's talking about death. He's talking about, I can't make sense of any of this. You might think that there's a different road for people who do things a certain way, Proverbs, but it doesn't. The same destiny overtakes them all. The hearts of the people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts. And while they live, and afterward they join the dead, Anyone who is among the living has hope, and even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. And even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. It was what Mike said this morning. It's like footprints left in the sand, and he's recognizing that after you're gone, boom, it's like the, the world resets and you're forgotten. Solomon, in the midst of great wisdom, a great legacy in leadership for a kingdom, a nation, great wealth, great power, is feeling a bit at a loss. My life's going to be over and who's going to remember? In fact, as you, he looks at the kingdom, he recognizes that there's no rhyme or reason to it. Verse 7, go then, he's saying, and eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. It's like, I, I don't know. Just enjoy your day. He says, enjoy, always be clothed in white, always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom, uh, whom you love, all the days uh, of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All of your meaningless days. Sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Just go party, because it's already been approved, and you don't know. You may as well enjoy what you have, and then it's going to be done. It's all meaningless. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is, no, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge nor wisdom. Super exciting passage this morning to motivate you, right? Energizing. We love Ecclesiastes. Solomon is giving us some words to help us not forget, and it's simply this. Death is unavoidable. 
I love how the band Switchfoot says it, is that none of us make it out of here alive. And why is it it takes sickness or a, a death in our family or friends that all of a sudden sober us up and we recognize, oh, wait a second, I, I'm not going to live forever. There was a cheap science fiction movie made a few years back. Justin Timberlake was in it. Uh, and it was called In Time. I'm a sci-fi junkie. I like science fiction movies. But I love the premise. The premise was you were born with a life clock that was in your arm. You were born with this clock, and it told you how long you were going to live. In fact, there was even another dimension to this. It was if you were poor, you only lived 25 years. If you were wealthy, you could keep buying time and live forever. And so there were people that would barter time, and, and it was a very interesting concept. But I thought this morning, as, as I as reflected on this movie, wouldn't it be interesting if we knew how long we had? And this, he's looking at his arm, and it says three days, 25 hours, 49 minutes, and 31 seconds. What if you knew? What if you could look at your arm this morning and say, I know exactly when I'm going to be done? What would, what would you be doing? How would your days be spent? I think this morning as we look at Solomon in the, in the midst of his perspective that doesn't have the hope of Christ, doesn't have any hope for tomorrow, he's at a loss to find a sense of any kind of purpose. And why is it we live our lives like a BMX race and constantly forget that our lives are short? They're short. We're here and then we're gone. It helps us maybe a little bit perspective. In the New Testament, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a midst that appears for a little while and then vanishes. If we have only a certain time to live, doesn't it beg us to answer this question? Uh, what's the most important thing then for us? What should we be about? Time becomes priceless. Time becomes the, the thing that you don't want to squander. Colossians 4 is a theme verse for our church, and our elders have picked this the past three years. I think because of this idea of time. Because when you start to, to look at your life and recognize that you don't have long, you want to make sure that you're spending every minute with some sort of purpose. Paul says it this way, devote yourselves then to prayer. Being watchful and thankful, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am, am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Purpose. Can you get the urgency of what Paul's saying this morning? Don't waste your time. Be praying, be praying, be praying. Wait for opportunities. And when you get those opportunities, get into them. Don't wait. Why is it that we wait? What is it about us that we forget and we wait? 
And so we'll say things like, well, one day when I get my life right, then I will fill in the blank. When I, when I get done with this job and make enough money because it's consuming my life right now, then I'll get involved in the church work and these things. Maybe tomorrow I'll start praying. Maybe tomorrow I'll start forgiving those family members or those friends. And it's like, as Marilyn said in our teaching cohort team, she said, it's, we keep the china in the cabinet and we wait for someday. How about today? A couple weeks ago, we had an illustration that we actually, this year we used an illustration similar about rope across the room. We were in the middle stage and I put a little kind of piece of tape on there and it kind of represented the scope of our lives in, the, in history past and all of eternity. But remember, Damien showed that clip of Francis Chan and I thought we would do that again. For those of you who missed it, hey, Alan, will you help me out here? Do you mind? So grab that end of the rope and go towards the exit sign. And uh, so he held up a rope, remember? And he said, if this rope were to uh, represent all of eternity, right? Just keep going, Alan. You can go right out the door. We'll tell you when you're done. Just keep going. There you go. (laughs) I'm teasing. Let him back in. Let him back in. My wife was so bothered I did that the first service. I can't believe you shut them out. I did. I had the guy close the door and stand outside. and It's like punishment. <laughs> Tighten that rope up just a little bit for me, Alan, would you? So if this rope represents all of eternity and it continues on forever, remember his illustration, which is so powerful? And if your life just is this little red spot, this tip, and remember he said people in this life, in, in our world today, will, will laugh if you give your moments and your time to the work of God. That if you invest your entire life about glorifying God, they're saying, you're stupid. Remember? That's what he said. Remember what he said? He goes, if there's all of eternity, you're stupid for wasting that much that's going to be counted for the rest of eternity. Solomon can't see beyond just this red. Solomon doesn't have hope of knowing that Christ can offer a relationship with him or for him. He he has no foresight of that. He doesn't understand. But we do. And why is it that we forget that you're going to end at one point? Yours might be smaller, might be bigger than this. But you're going to end at one point on this earth. And the Scripture says that how we spend this time If we know Jesus, it says that our lives will be counted for and that we will reap that for all of eternity. Thanks, Alan. You could just put that down. This is important. Solomon is saying your life's going to end. The Callaway family, uh, Steve and Kathy, I just met with them this morning. He found out he has liver cancer. Uh, Dick Tepp and Jerry found out that Dick has liver cancer. Now, I know cancer is, is something that's happened in our church, but why is it that we so quickly forget our lives are short? And if time is that important to us, what are you doing with it? I think it's time for us as Christ followers and 
we, we, I so have been, I've been looking at this term, wake up, all throughout Scripture. You see it, wake up, O sleeper, wake up, wake up. It's God opening our eyes to seeing the reality of life, that it's quick. And so when you start thinking about those things, you're saying, really, if it's waking up and my life is short, then today matters. Today matters. These moments in here, as we worship, today matters. Maybe today, for the first time, you start opening your lips and praising God. Because what if it's over tomorrow and you never got to open your mouth and praise Him? What if it's, I, I wanna, I'm going to get right with God eventually, someday, but what if it's pulling out of that cabinet your spiritual disciplines and reading today, praying today, Giving today, forgiving today, because it matters, because you don't know. Who wants to stand before the creator of the universe? Yeah, God, about that, I was, I, I thought I had some more time. I didn't know you were going to cut me off so quick. I mean, think about that. If it's all of eternity, then every moment we have creates an urgency. Ben Harper, a, a musician, one of my favorites, uh, has a great uh, line here. It says, life is short, and if you're looking for extension, you had best do well. Because there's good deeds and there's good intentions, but they're as far apart as heaven and hell. You can have great intentions as a person in this room. You can have great spiritual intentions about your journey with God, about how you're going to serve the church, about how you're finally going to get into a group one day and start to invest your life, finally forgive somebody. You can have all these great intentions, but when your life is done, it will be measured for how you glorified the Father in heaven. We sang that. So all I need is you. I want to glorify you, Father. He asks, then do it in that red space. Do it with relationships, even when they're hurtful. Do it with money. Do it with, with how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you are, are suffering at work, whatever it might be. However, it, whatever lot you have been given, you are to spend the moments that you have glorifying the Father in heaven. How are you doing it? Most of us forget. You laughed at my story about writing and making the same mistake in one race within minutes. Yet I think Christians are making it every day. By keeping the china in the cabinet, by putting off God and saying, one day I will. I think, I think today is important. As a, as a church... It's part of the reason I think there's an ineffectiveness with the church today in our culture. And we are part of that, and I'm a part of that. So I, I'm, I'm giving myself uh, this inspirational butt-kicking this morning. Is that we need to begin to wake up and recognize we don't have a guarantee. And our lives are going to end, and at one day I'm going to be held accountable for the minutes and the seconds and the hours and the days. And today is what I have. And today I can get started. And today I could honor God with the time I have. And today I could honor God with how I love people when they're not loving me back. 
This is why we gather every week, and this is why this time is important. Not to punch a clock. Not to say, hey, listen, I did church for God this week, and I made my, my weekly installment, God. It is so that we could be reminded and once again look eye to eye with other people. The new community, as the Scripture calls it. It's called the new community. The way of people saying, we're awake. We get it. There are people hurting and dying, and they need to know this hope. Solomon gives us some interesting insight. Here's the second part of it. 11 through 18, it says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle of the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. Solomon is struggling here because he's saying it doesn't matter if you're smart because you may not get good things because you're smart. You may not win the race even though you're the fastest. He, he's talking about there's, there's this inequity. It, it doesn't work out. I used to think it did. He wrote Proverbs. It doesn't quite work out all the way we think. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Have you ever felt that? Why, God? I got a little too much this month of bad stuff. Did you, did you forget? I, I don't think the good and bad scale is balanced for me. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. Powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built a huge, built a huge siege wall or siege works against it. Now there were, lived in that city this poor man, but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. This poor guy does, out of all the military people, but nobody remembers the guy. That's not fair. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are, are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. You know what Solomon is, is getting at here? He's saying life is unpredictable. And if, if we were to have these bags represent the good things in our life and the bad things, you define that, I don't know. Because in some ways, some of the adversity and the pain we go through is actually a blessing. But isn't it true we're trying to weigh out? Because I've heard people say, wait, I got a little too much of this. Troy, could, could you throw a prayer up and God... Could you just balance? I need some good things. But friends, in life, it doesn't work out that way. There's not a scale in heaven saying, hey, listen, I'm going to make sure this really weighs like that because you're a Christian. You're, a good, you're the good people. I think of those Christians in, in, in Iraq who are being beheaded for their faith. Don't you think they're asking this question? But well, what about a little bit of good things? You think about all the different things that are going on in the world. This doesn't mean to belittle what we're doing and where we're at in our life. It just means I think we ask sometimes the wrong question. Because this we can't count on. It's unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. We have a short span of life. And that's not something that we can invest in. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Matthew 5, Jesus talks about this, and he talks about worry. 
and how much time and energy we spend investing in worry. They say stress is the base of most uh, of the illnesses in our culture. Stress. You can worry yourself to death. You can invest so much energy in worry, it does nothing for you. It says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about, what, about your body, about what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So he goes into this whole idea about the birds of the air and how they're fed by God. It says, verse 27, can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life it's a bad investment. Some of you are investment people. If you spend the, the, most of your life investing in worry and investing in trying to balance the scales of this, you have a horrible investment because it doesn't always work out that way. You have a bad investment. If you're investing in people, they're going to fail you. doesn't mean we don't pour ourselves out and love people. If you're investing in, in money, Boy, you can have that one day, and that can be gone the next. If you're investing in your health, man, stay healthy, do that. But if you think that's a solid foundation to stand on, you'll be sorely disappointed. And he goes on and says, don't worry about your clothes. I've clothed the lilies of the field. I'm paraphrasing here. It says, verse 30, if God knows how to clothe the grass of the field, which is here today and then thrown in the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry. This is verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. People who don't know God and don't have the hope of tomorrow are worrying about everything. About how much they can get, about how much they can have. And it's that question that Dan Thomas, it's what's in it for me. And this is why when people come and go from local church bodies, not just our church, but any, I've just met with a bunch of pastors, we're going to shoot a video, I guarantee it. And we're going to hold people accountable to church hopping. Because, friends, it's not right because you're called together to remind each other. And maybe, just maybe, you're placed in this miserable body called Community Church with this crazy pastor because God wants to teach you something. And the scales may not balance out. And it may be a struggle for you. Life is unpredictable. And the body of Christ is meant to pull us together to be reminded of this. And not forget. Therefore, do not worry. Excuse me, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You want to know what to invest in? It's, it's in the kingdom of God. Trust Jesus. It doesn't mean don't show up to work and don't do the things of life and hope for some good things and maybe pray for, but they're not solid investments. Your best investment is investing in Jesus and honoring and glorifying him with every minute you have. That means you go forgive that person today. That means you go back to the person and seek forgiveness who you wronged. That means you begin to give to the poor today. That means you begin to commit yourself to a group of people that will hold you accountable to a spiritual life. That means you begin to read today. You begin to pray today. That means, men, you begin to pray out loud with your families. That means you begin today and then you invest in glorifying the Father in heaven. 
Someone asked me, am I frustrated? I'm not with you. I'm frustrated at the local church in, at large. Because do you realize if we thought this urgently about our lives, that it matters every moment, and that the investments of, of things of this world are not really guaranteed us anything, we would impact people differently. We would have more of a sense of urgency to go to our neighbor who doesn't know God and look for an opportunity to give our lives to them, to share Christ with them. If there were poor people around us or people in need, we would seek to bring restoration to them. If there were conflicts amongst family or friends or people we knew or in the church, we'd seek peace and restoration in that. We would do it today. But we forget. As we go to communion and we begin to sing this morning, they're songs if you don't have the hope of Christ. They're just songs. If you know Jesus, then this morning you sing in the moments here on earth about something that we know will be for eternity. And because of that, we've been given a lot. We, we have a lot. We have an hour, a day, a minute that we have on our lives, and none of us know what we have, but you have this moment. And you have this day. And he's saying, use that time to bring me glory and honor. Even if tough things come. Because even in the midst of tough times, guess what happens? You begin to glorify God when you have cancer, when someone is lost, when you lose all your money, when you lose your job, when you're oppressed wrongly. You begin to glorify God because you go to everybody else. I'm standing on something that's solid. And it's not about money. And it's not about the things of this earth. It's about eternity. That's what makes us Christian. That's what makes us disciples. This morning as you go to the table, you have a father that has extended himself that you might have hope after this life. Not only that, that you might have it in richness and fullness. And you go to the table recognizing that you have an enemy, and that is the devil who will seek to destroy your time here on earth and steal from you. Friends, don't let the evil one steal from you this morning in these moments. Father in heaven, we give you glory and honor and praise and follow the best we can today. We want to use these minutes and these moments to drink in the reality that you've given us hope after this life. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.